The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this Sunday as we join together in scripture and song in praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via podcast, please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Associate Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today we gather for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost with our special guest preacher, the Reverend Scott Donahue Martins. Scott is a PhD student in practical theology with a focus in homiletics. His research seeks to explore ways that sermons can be meaningful across the spectrum of differences by including listeners in the process of meaning making. He and his wife Brenda love immersing themselves in nature, reading, and spending time with their cat. We welcome you. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God.
Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Now we enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first book of Kings, chapter 8. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral houses of the Israelites, before King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. 
keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart, the covenant that you kept for your servant, my father David, as you declared to him, you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, saying, there shall never fail you a successor before me to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your children look to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot continue, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. O hear in heaven your dwelling place, heed and forgive. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from the Epistles to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 84 with the antiphon. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the ways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. 
He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 6, verses 56 through 69. Glory to you, O Lord. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said... For this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of this, his disciples turned back and lo no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. About 18 months ago, I stood in the trauma room of a busy Los Angeles hospital. For probably the seventh or eighth time, my phone went off alerting me of an emergency. 
I walked in. I saw the usual signs of a gang shooting. This was the first night I met Mark, whose name is not really Mark. Mark had been shot twice, looked to be about 15, and was covered in tattoos. As I searched for identifying gang symbols among the tattoos, I found a rosary tattooed on his forearm. The mixture of religious and gang symbols was not uncommon. After speaking with him and saying a prayer, he went off to surgery. A few visits and days later, the DCFS worker informed the hospital that they were out of placement options for Mark. Child Protective Services had nowhere for Mark to go when he was discharged. So they asked us, the hospital, to keep him while they worked something out. In the ensuing months, I had countless conversations with Mark. He openly shared about his life and place in the gang, including the crimes he committed on the streets and even the strategies for not getting caught. Mark's whole family belonged to different gangs, a dangerous fact and a harsh environment. When I asked Mark what he envisioned being as a child when he grew up, he told me I never had any choice. The only choice I ever got in life was which gang I would choose. Over the course of the months, we talked a lot about faith and spirituality. Mark considered himself spiritual, but not religious, as so many young people do. He shared how the rosary was a source of comfort and protection for him, which is why it was tattooed on his arm. He would continually ask me for rosaries because he would give them out to his friends and fellow gang members. In fact, the night he was shot, not even an hour before, he had given his rosary to a friend, a fact that only reinforced his quasi-magical or perhaps mystical view that the rosary was a source of God's protection. And as we talked, I discovered that Mark was angry with God. When he was 13, his grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. He stopped going to school to care for her. He prayed every day for her healing. And as far as I could tell, she was the only family member that ever cared for Mark. So when she died, he lost the most important person in his life. He stopped going to Mass. For all intents and purposes, he stopped going to school. He was adopted by a local gang that he would later join. Mark was angry with God for the death of his grandmother. He felt pushed away. Belief and trust were too hard, and so Mark walked away. He told me of the bargains he made with God, if only God would have saved her. Good grades, a clean life, perhaps even service in the church. But they didn't work. I imagine there are those of us who have made similar bargains 
to no avail. When life and faith do not go the way we plan and pray, it is easy to become frustrated, to be angry, perhaps even to lose hope. Being angry, mad, sad, sorrowful, full of lament, these are all now normal feelings and expressions that occur as a natural part of life. Even losing hope can be natural. Yet the stormy waters of despair cut to the core. The loss of hope comes with the side effect of paralysis. Time slows and despair stretches. It is so insidious for its capacity to make people feel trapped and alone. A loss of hope can feel like a loss of life itself. In these times, one can feel that God has turned God's face away. It can feel like either God does not hear prayer or God is choosing not to answer. Sometimes it just feels like we are being pushed and pushed and pushed away. It can be hard to reconcile our image of God as all loving with feeling pushed away. Our gospel reading today is somewhat puzzling in a similar vein. In these past few weeks, we have traveled through John chapter 6, where Jesus consistently calls himself the bread of life. Where Jesus has drawn the people to him. He fed the 5,000 men and countless women and children. He taught from the mountainside. He had to avoid being made a king. He calmed the seas. He walked on water. In fact, when Jesus tried to get away, the crowds followed him. The people followed him. He had the crowds literally eating from the palms of his hands. And it is here that Jesus dives into the bread of life discourse. And at first, the people, they want this bread that Jesus is offering. He tells them about the life it provides, and they want it. They seem desperate for it. And really, who would not be desperate for bread that provides life and hope? At first, they are willing to believe based on the wonderful signs that Jesus has done. They believe that he is able to provide them with this living bread. Yet Jesus goes on. He not only has the audacity to say that he is this living bread sent from heaven, but also that God is his father. Jesus calls himself the bread of life from heaven and reveals this deep personal connection. This claim of a special relationship is a cause of complaining. But it does not yet cause the people to walk away. The desperate need for hope is still more potent. At least for a time. Perhaps Jesus was not well versed in the church growth literature of the time. Because it was at this point, a potential climax in his ministry, that he seems to drive the crowds away. 
the signs, the miracles, the teachings, they have all brought the people in. All is going well for this new community. And hope is so much easier to grasp when things are going well. Yet the tides turn. And in the midst of grumbling, Jesus pushes harder. He goes on to use blatantly cannibalistic terms, saying that eating the son of man's flesh and drinking his blood are now required to be his followers. You can almost hear the people saying, I didn't sign up for this, as they slowly back away. But some of the more ardent supporters, some of those who are perhaps more desperate for this bread, may have thought they misheard Jesus or that Jesus did not mean what he said. So verse 60 says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Perhaps this was an attempt to give Jesus the space to back off on his teaching, to read the crowds and reassess. But it is interesting that here John uses the term disciples. When many of his disciples heard it. When we hear disciples, we often think of the twelve. But there are many other followers of Jesus, some who were present for most, if not all, of his ministry. Here we have not just the crowds grumbling against Jesus, but disciples as well. Those who had traveled with him and heard his teachings over time. Those who knew Jesus and those who Jesus knew. The text says, But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about him, said to them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you? Well, avoiding offending people at all costs is a hallmark of society. Even our abhorrence for giving reason for offense does not capture the sentiment of this sentence as it is in Greek. The Greek word is skandalizai, from which our word scandal is derived. So when Jesus is aware that the crowds and his disciples are complaining against him, he goes on to ask, are these teachings scandalizing you? And then he doubles down. The crowds leave. Most of the disciples leave. The scandalous, radical nature of eating Christ's flesh and blood is often lost on those who are prone to spiritualize this passage. This Johannine passage is often filtered through the Eucharistic rituals where eating and drinking Christ has become a normal practice. The idea of eating another's flesh and drinking their blood has somehow lost this scandalizing nature it held. Perhaps, though, it would not be difficult, it would not take us long to look to find other scandals that might stand in the way of our faith 
clergy abuses in all shapes and sizes, infidelity and sexual misconduct, financial mishandling, racism, sexism, the abuse of children. We unfortunately see these across the country and across denominations of the church. Scandals that cause people to question faith and to lose hope. Now, unlike in John 6, Jesus is not causing these scandals through his teachings. Nonetheless, the church is burdened by them. Nonetheless, we are burdened by them. Nonetheless, people are leaving due to the failures of the institution and the people who are to be the paragons of virtue. Certainly, we cannot equate faith with the church, and we might maintain that these failures are not in my church or not in our church. Yet if we are going to hold that the church is the body of Christ, and if we are going to hold that there is one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we ought to ask, the hard questions. How? Why? We ought to weep, to lament, and seek change. We ought to recognize the challenge of holding on to faith in the midst of scandal, the challenge of hope when hopelessness is so much easier. What do we do when faith breaks? What do we do when the well-worn paths of piety perish? When it feels that God is calling us to the impossible or when despair looms so large that the valley of the shadow of death feels like a permanent dwelling place? What can we do? We can walk away. We can look elsewhere, give up on finding ways to incorporate faith in modern life, give up that there are deeper meanings and deeper purposes in life. Eschew hope. In the midst of hopelessness, Jesus turns to the twelve. Do you wish to go away also? We do not know if they were the only ones left at this point, but it is significant to note that this is the first time in the Gospel of John that they are called the Twelve, that they are labeled as a distinct group. John records some of the early calling stories that we find in the synoptic accounts, but here, for the first time in John, they are set apart as the Twelve perhaps because they were the last twelve standing. And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know you are the Holy One of Israel. We don't know the tone of Peter's response. Perhaps this was a triumphal proclamation of courage and hope. Lord, to whom can we go? You have the eternal life, the words of eternal life. Perhaps it was said with a mixture of despair 
and realization. Lord, to whom can we go? As if to say we would go somewhere else if we could. But we've already left our jobs. We've marked ourselves at your disciples. Nobody else would take us at this point. We put our trust, our faith, our hope in you. Lord, to whom can we go? Maybe it was said with a mixture of hope and despair. Certainly the disciples could not escape feeling despair as they watched Jesus and by extension themselves be abandoned by their fellow disciples. And yet they chose to stay, which is fundamentally an act of hope. The harshness of the teaching certainly would not have been lost on them. The reality that the people would go from trying to make Jesus king to, in the next passage, trying to kill him would not have been lost on them. Even in the midst of rejection, even in the midst of hard teachings and hard times, 12 remained. Hope was not lost. Hope won. Even a glimmer of hope, the smallest spark and the dimmest candle, stand in defiance to proclaim that all is not lost. Our summer preaching series is titled Toward a Common Hope. And I love how Boston University's paper titled their article about the series, The Necessity of Hope Inspires Summer Preaching at Marsh Chapel. The Necessity of Hope Inspires. Of course, the word inspires is derived from the Latin inspirare, in breath or in the spirit. Hope is inspired in, by, and through the spirit. The deprivation of hope in daily life means that it is now a rare commodity. The need for hope is why our culture consumes these stories about people who beat the odds, people who rise above their circumstances. People are so desperate for hope because we are so starved from it. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he also says, I am hope. It would be great if I could stand here and tell you that Mark that young man who I met with for months at the hospital changed his whole life. That he left resolved to get off the streets and go back to school. But I can't. One day I went to the hospital and he was gone. As he had done in many foster care homes, he ran away. No goodbyes, no forwarding address. For all I knew, he went back on the streets and was shot that night in the retaliation that he told me was planned. I have no idea what effect my conversations had with him, what seeds germinated and which one's different. But I choose to trust, to hope, and to pray that Christ is not done with him. That Mark has the opportunity to find nourishing hope from the bread of life. Even though life is not filled with storybook endings, 
it does not mean that there is no hope. There is a sense in which the hope of Christ, the nourishment of the bread of life, can be found in the most unlikely of places. Faith, spirituality, they do not need to fit into neat boxes with ribbons and bows. Christ is not bound by the walls of a church or the bindings of a book. My friends, hope is infectious. It only takes a little to grow and spread. But we live in a time where we must choose to search for hope, to plant hope, to nurture hope, to share hope. Dear friends, choose hope. Amen.
You may be seated. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he advised, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So let us heed his advice and pray. You are welcome to stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. Almighty God, there is no God like you in heaven above or in this earth. You are God of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Praise be to you, Lord God, for you have not failed us. We give you praise and thanksgiving for your abounding love and faithfulness. We thank you for giving us the strength of your power to deliver us from evil. And we pray for your presence, not just in this place at this time. We pray for your presence in our lives every day so that we can stand firm in the face of evil. Abide with us so that the words of our mouth are acceptable to you. Help us to speak truth to power. Help us to propagate truth, not alternative facts. Help us to live the truth. Abide with us and renew a right spirit within us in the midst of overwhelming indifference, hate-filled speech, cruelty, and violence. Search our hearts and minds, God, and make us self-aware of our own sinful nature. Grant us forgiveness and help us to forgive others. Give us eyes to see and the discernment to recognize the evil around us. Restore our souls so that we have the courage and will to take action against it. Help us to do the right thing. Abide with us and give us the willingness and readiness to spread your gospel of peace in all that we do. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Equip us with the boldness and courage to speak up for you. Help us to walk your path and spread your word. Abide with us so that we develop the kind of trust and obedience that Abraham had complete and sure, so that when you call, we respond with, here I am. Help us to grow and act in accordance with our faith. Abide with us and give us the spiritual nourishment that only you can provide. Grant us guidance and discernment as we study your word. Help us to understand and accept Jesus as the bread of life, our salvation. Abide with us and direct our paths. 
Open our ears to hear the spirit of truth. God, we know that with you nothing is impossible, and so we ask that you create in us pure hearts. Help us to live our lives in the most excellent way, with love. Merciful and gracious God, we ask for your comfort. We pray for the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength to persevere. We pray for the peoples whose lives are affected by violence and oppression. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength to endure and forgive. We pray for the sick, the dying, and those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength of your presence. We pray for all whose rest is one, from family and friends to the maverick who stood firm and practiced civility to those across the aisle. Let your perpetual light shine upon them all. As we pray these things, we pray that we will recognize and cheerfully accept our role in fulfilling these requests. Help us to comfort others with comfort we ourselves have received from you. Lord, our God, hear the cry and prayers that we, your servants, are praying in your presence today. We bring forth our anxieties and worries in total trust in you, for we know that your peace transcends all understanding. We pray these things in the name of the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we pray the prayer that he taught us together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel this morning. Thank you for joining us as a part of our community of worship today, whether you are seated here in the sanctuary listening on the radio or live stream on the internet or later via our podcast. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This will help us to get to know you better and for you to get to know one another better. Following the service, we invite you to join us out on Marsh Plaza to enjoy this beautiful summer day, as well as some snacks and lemonade, and to be in fellowship with one another. 
Next Sunday is the official start of the school year, which means our Sunday service will be the matriculation service for the university. Please join us as we welcome our new students to campus before they head up the street to the university-wide matriculation ceremony. As the school year is starting, we will also be resuming weekly activities here at Marsh Chapel. Term books will be available at the beginning of the school year to outline events for the semester. Students should also be apprised of our first week offerings, including a first day of classes breakfast on Tuesday, September 4th, the Religious Life Fair also on Tuesday in the afternoon, a chapel garden party on Thursday, September 6th, and the greening of the dorms painting and planting activity on Friday, September 7th. More information about these events can be found on our Facebook page, Marsh Chapel at Boston University. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. May the love of the Creator, the grace of the Redeemer, and the hope of the Holy Spirit be with you always.